my gender was this chore and I wasn't very good at it. You're doing a great job now. Hi, I'm Liz. I'm Mickey. They're queer. She's not. Welcome to What the Q. On this podcast, we're exploring queer culture together. Why? Because of you, Mickey. Aww. <laughs> <laughs> All righty. Yeah, baby. We're kind of on a roll. I mean, we're recording so close to the last episode. It's like we got our shit together. In the last episode, speaking of getting our shit together, in the last episode, I did make the statement that iTunes needs to get their shit together. Um, since then, I have communicated with iTunes, and they made it abundantly clear that we needed to get our shit together. So upon getting our shit together, we are now on iTunes and it is nice. We're iTunes official. Yes, we're official on iTunes. We're actually iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. So how's Liz doing? <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm good. Actually, very recently we had uh, an event together, uh, you and me. Um it was 21 years since the day you introduced me to my husband last week. Oh, my God. Yes. Wait, to the day or to the week? The day, August 2nd, to the day. was. The... Oh, so, so eight days ago. <clears throat> yeah, I'm just talking about my week. <laughs> Can we start over? <laughs> <laughs> I started at day one. Sorry. So it's so it's the anniversary. It's the anniversary. You you had the anniversary of when you like and basically Tom met. what has happened since the last time we spoke. <laughs> well, that's cool. I I remember that day. I feel like we were sitting at we were at Lulu's, weren't we? We were. In yeah. on the patio. Yep. At a big round table. Big round table. There's about ten yeah. of us at least. I was one of them and Tom was one of them. We just didn't know each other. I was one of them. You were one of them. You knew both of us. <laughs> <laughs> um, I probably knew everybody at the table. <laughs> yeah. I think I knew everyone except Tom. Okay. So you had your introductiversary yes. with Tom this week. Mm -hmm. And then just a normal busy week at work. And today I went to Pilates at 9 in the morning it's now five at night and I haven't taken off my workout clothes yet. So that could mean I was either really busy today and didn't have time or really lazy. And I'm just going to leave that there. Okay. We get an <laughs> option. Choose your own adventure. That's right. <laughs> How about you, Mick? How are you? I'm good. I feel really good. My dryer broke and I run an Airbnb. So that's a big you deal. You can only imagine. Yeah. Plus it's laundry day. I'm thankful that my neighbor is out of town and she's letting me use her dryer. So I just have to go next door with wet clothes and come back with dry folded clothes. I've been troubleshooting some stuff on the podcast this week because even though we're in a good place, there's always little glitches that I want to stay on top of. So when I'm at work, which is nannying, when the kid is asleep, I'm on my computer trying to optimize the website, optimize subscribe links, um, this, that, and the other thing. And that's kind of been my week. I have some doctor's appointments coming up and some dentist appointments coming up. And I'm feeling good playing an active part in my health. 
and being healthy, quote unquote, for me. I really guess that's it. There's nothing that, um, I mean, oh, I do have a project that I'm working on with some friends from my fat dance troupe. Now, this project, is it another dance project or what? Uh, what's your role in this project? Well, it's specifically three people collaborating. It is a dance project, but it's uh, KT collaborating on dance, our friend Cameron collaborating with video, and myself collaborating with music. And we're applying for a festival that specifically is about joining forces with, you know, different forms of art. We also have two producers working with us. We're working on the submission so that we'll get accepted and then we can move forward with the project. Well, maybe you'll tell us more about it as it unfolds. Yeah. Once we get accepted, because we'll get accepted, I will let you know. And if we don't get accepted, you'll never hear about this again. Although I will say this, the the project that we have um, that we're working on, we have been juicing it so much that there should be some type of iteration of it. At some point, it is going to be fat centric. That is for sure, because that's how we roll, because we are fat and we roll. Um, So (laughs) now, are you just doing the music or are you also dancing? Very good question. It's, It's a good question. I will be doing the music and I am sure I should be doing some dancing that hasn't been decided yet, but it has been discussed but I will be an actor in the performance because I will be mixing music live. Oh, like uh, live? Yeah, okay. Yeah, and I don't mm-hmm. want to give too much away. I've done this yeah. before with another group that I was with called the Decepticons, where I did some live mixing. With Pepper, I've harvested live sounds and then mixed them and sent them back through the monitors. But with this one, there's live mixing planned and... Every show should be different based on that mixing. Uh, that's very cool. Um, I'm excited for you to be on uh, the music yeah. side of it. Me too. Yeah. And I, I I, love doing the dancing part, but that's not, as we've discussed over right. and over again, it's not the most important thing for me. And um, I just, I, yeah, I really love collaborating with folks and having to write a bio about myself, it really helps me remind myself what my what my philosophy is, what my goals are, and um, that's what we've been working on now. But we meet on Wednesdays, and I hope that all of that. I know it's going to take a few months before we hear back. Oh right. It sounds like we're going to be working on this regardless. So yeah, even if yeah. we don't get accepted. Oh, that's awesome. I recently wrote my own bio for work. That was awkward. <laughs> <It's> like. <laughs> But it feels good when you read it back and you're like, yeah, that is me. <laughs> yeah, that is what I think. I don't know if that's how it feels for you. Well, it was like a corporate bio. I love talking about myself, so <laughs> it's always a good thing for me. <laughs> you want to have a great conversation with Mickey? Laugh at all their jokes and ask them everything you can about them. <laughs> And that's how it happens. (laughs) So maybe we should move on to today's conversation. Yes. Today's conversation was our very first recording. It was, yes. It happened back on February the 11th. Which seems like so far ago. It was still cold. I mean, it seems so long ago. It was a while ago. Yeah, and it just makes us realize how far we've come also today's conversation with joseph he's 
a very good friend of mine. He actually lives in the same house that I do. I'm kind of like his landlordish type person. But we also do a lot of creative work together. We produce a show called Bath Time with Auntie Spetty. And Joseph does perform drag all over Portland um, and other places sometimes, I think. But mostly in Portland. And I am just like I am with all my other queers. I'm right there to help him with his music production and mixing. So we work together a lot. I met Joseph because, <laughs> how can I say this without sounding like an asshole? <laughs> I was performing as CJ and the Dolls and he was kind of stalking me for a hot second, but we did have a mutual friend. And at one of my shows, um, he approached me afterwards and I invited him out with my dancers and myself and we all went out to get a bite to eat. And from there, we've kind of maintained a pretty good friendship i mean he is one of my best friends so i can say that yeah as are most of the people that we have as guests on this show well yeah (laughs) including my co-host yeah that's me (laughs) it was nice to have joseph as a first guest because of your relationship how long you've known each other that it was very kind of him to be our first guest in the sense that we were still working out some bugs. I mean, you know, it was our first time. We needed the practice. Well, yeah, we needed the practice, but um, the the content that Joseph shared with us was invaluable. And so it was like a win-win. We were able to um, have someone be patient with us. And at the end of the day, we got an amazing episode and learned so much about him and the topic of queerness i mean it was just a delight i've heard you mention before like you know every time we we press stop on record and we have more validation of why we're doing this when we press stop with joseph that was the first time i think that that happened where we're like we're this is good what we're doing is good yeah i remember um you sent me the edited version and this was you had you edited it pretty closely to after the interview itself it wasn't like you just edited it this week you know so you sent this to me probably still in sometime in February, I listened to it and I was like, Oh my goodness, this is real. This, this podcast and our premise, I was so happy and so excited. It brought tears to my eyes that we're doing this and it's working. That was like such a huge moment. From here, from this episode that we're doing right now, I know Joseph was the first one recorded, but this is our third official episode. From here, I think we have some other conversations lined up, but we will be putting the call out to get some more guests on the show. So we are going to be recording more conversations again soon. So they're not all going to be February and April. (laughs) We're going to be recording again soon with some new guests. Without any further ado, let's bring on Joseph's conversation. We are here with, you know, I'm going to probably say this on every episode. Full disclosure, this next guest is a very dear friend of mine. (laughs) And we've worked together a lot and we've created art together. And I mean, I'm just thrilled that this could possibly be our first guest, depending on what she decides to say. (laughs) (laughs) Or your last. I mean, and this is also the first time that I get to introduce my friend Joseph to my friend Liz. Yeah. Hi, Joseph. Hi, Liz. Welcome to What the Q. I feel welcome at What the Q. (laughs) 
we were talking about before we started recording about what the whole premise of our interviews are. And uh, in this first season of our podcast, we're really just talking to people that want to talk about their identity as a queer person, what that means to them, and maybe a little bit more about themselves. Joseph, would you like to start out by telling us a little bit about yourself? Sure. I'm a 40-something queer person living in Portland, Oregon for the last 20 years, but I grew up in eastern Washington in a small conservative area. I'm a hairdresser, and I identify as queer, and there's a big difference in my head between being queer and being gay, but I can understand why people are confused, because if someone said, that's a gay man, I wouldn't usually bother to correct them, because... Some of that's private, I guess. Not that I'm not willing to talk about it, but it's like, you know, people decide you fit these perimeters or you fit certain stereotypes and like, who wants to sit around explaining to people at the grocery store who you like to have sex with, right? Right. (laughs) I mean, Liz's sexuality as a woman is totally different than someone born in a different time of a different age or of a different socioeconomic class who decides to sell herself like all of our experiences make up our ideas about our sexuality and our identities. I grew up where there was very little understanding or talk about alternative identities. So because I was feminine, the religious community around me was always like, oh my God, you're not gay, are you? You're going to go to hell if you're gay. You know, you shouldn't be gay. And everyone was telling me that I was gay. So it's like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm gay. Everybody thinks I'm gay. But as I got older and heard other terms, which are always changing, like all of a sudden out of nowhere came the term genderqueer or whatever. You really feel like genderqueer just came out of nowhere? For me, it did. Yeah. Is that because of your isolation? I think so, because I wasn't around other queer people until my 20s. So I want to back up a second and go a little bit back to more about you. Um, I didn't hear you mention anything about the art that you do here in Portland as a queer artist. Sure. Well, I guess I kind of have two identities. There's people who know me as Joseph. And for Joseph, it's really easy to roll out of bed and not put much care into my appearance and go to work and be a man and have male privilege and take people's money for doing hair. And then um, I've been Svetlana Trantastic so long, which is a stage name that um, I would say an equal number of people only know me as Svetlana. Lord knows what they think I am or what my genitals are. (laughs) Who knows? Sometimes people are surprised that I'm not an actual woman or they think that I've actually been in transition and I have not taken those steps yet. Is any of that their business? It's not their business, but I'm happy to tell them if they're asking for the right reasons, not just if they're like, what you got in your pants? I'm curious. I want to know. No, like that's not your business. Um, I would say that only a small number of my closest friends know both of my identities. And there's people who've known me like 10 years and have no idea that I also have the name Joseph. They only know me as Svetlana or Sveti as a performer. And I think that started out as a way to 
try on a personality and do all the things that my mother wouldn't let me do as a little kid that, you know, ha ha ha, here I am wearing dresses and makeup and performing and being funny. But then in the in-between moments, people are talking to you and buying you drinks and wanting to know who you are in a female identity. And um, I guess I definitely found that I was more empowered in that identity. I found that I had more available sex partners in that identity and that I felt more in control of things as a woman, which is maybe counter to what you'd think society gives all this power and privilege to men. But, you know, when you're in the right skin, you're in the right skin. And yet I'm also unwilling to I'm unwilling to give up being Joseph because it's easy and male privilege is real. What do you do with that male privilege or do you even care? Well, like, it's like, no, this is my little safe place to go. It, specifically in my industry as a hairdresser, women love a gay male hairdresser. Uh, do women love a trans woman hairdresser? I don't know. I think I'd have some different clients. People think they know me, but there's a lot that, like, it's none of their business. Why would I tell them I'm there to do their hair and take their money? That's easier to do as Joseph. I wouldn't want to get up and have to do an hour's worth of makeup every day to look like a woman. Like, I'm going to go schlep hair all day on, on my feet. You know, there's also, like, this weird, like, I respect your opinion because you're a gay man. But, you know, if I'm this bimbo-y looking woman that's not very pretty because I started out a man, well, there's less respect for that person. And that's sad, but that's also like, you know, if it was super easy to transition, everybody that thought about it a little bit would. There's a lot to give up. Well, I think Joseph dresses fabulously as it is. I have really cute socks on. They have little cats on them. Well, it's perfect that you wore them to this podcast. <laughs> Thank you. As you were talking about the difference between being a gay male hairdresser and a woman at a bar, do you find that because you're comfortable in that role and therefore feel more powerful? You know, it doesn't make any sense to feel more powerful, does it? But I, I do in that, you know, if, if I were to be like my best male self and go to the gay bar, um, from experience, I know very few people will talk to me. They won't be interested in me. There's, there's always someone, um, younger, more fit, whatever. If I go to a bar looking like a, a woman, there's always people around me trying to hit on me, letting me know that they would want to have sex with me. They tend to be more straight men who consider themselves straight, even though they know what they're getting into. But, you know, they're not being tricked, but somehow you put the female persona on it. I've, I almost wonder if it's like a fetish. Like, is it me or is it just my shoes? Do you want to spend some time with my shoes? There was something in Liz's question is, is your power derived from the fact that you are being your true self? Yes. yes. Is that what you mm -hmm. were asking? Yeah. You use the bar as an example. Right. When you go to the bar as a boy, you don't feel that you have any edge on anyone else. I I think I've always been dissatisfied with being a boy. And I think because I grew up in eastern Washington and I could talk your ear off about gender dysphoria that I understand to be gender dysphoria now. But as a child, no one was using that term. Trans wasn't a thing that you did. So I can remember lots of moments of going home crying 
um, because I didn't have a skirt and the girls I played with had skirts. Why couldn't I have a pretty skirt to twirl in on the playground? I remember crying when I wanted to have long blonde hair and I was told I could never have long blonde hair. Um, and trans just wasn't something you did. There was no voice for it. There was no one saying your kid might be trans and that's okay. There was a way to raise a boy in the world that made them the safest that, you know, you hope that they would like soccer. There was one way to be a boy. Everyone raised their child that way. And you were setting your child up for success. It would be an act of not loving your child to do something else for them. You'd be absolutely insane. So I feel like I could point the finger at my mother and say, I did all these things that should have shown you that I was trans as a little kid, but how would she know? Nobody talked about being trans. So There I was no language. There was no language. There was nobody doing it in that town. There was no one saying that it was okay. There was no other voice. There were just people who were very concerned if I wasn't being a boy right, and I wasn't good at being a boy. I didn't want to play soccer. I didn't want to play baseball. I didn't like the other boys. I wanted to do what the girls were doing. I wanted to have Barbies, and I wasn't allowed. And so there were just always these compromises. Like, I couldn't have Barbies, but I could have action figures, and I could have He-Man and She-Ra, but never Barbie. But if I got caught with my She-Ra, that I'd made a dress for her, and I was playing with her like a Barbie, I got in trouble, and she got taken away from me. So I think the empowering part was like finally like I'm a fucking adult I'm gonna put on this dress and this lipstick and this hair and I'm gonna do what I've wanted to do my whole life and nobody can stop me and look how everybody's drawn to me when I do it more than like oh I'm so terrible at being a boy I'm not any of these you know like I think that's how I grew up always feeling about like my gender was this chore and I wasn't very good at it it's in the way. You're doing a great job now. I, I can testify. Your gender is, well, as it is for all of us, completely your own. And um, I actually look up to you about the way you present your gender when you go out. Even when you're Joseph, you let your flair fly. And I'm like, I don't have time for that. Grays, <laughs> blues, basic. Like, yeah, it's none of anybody's business. Well, which, it is more or less important. Like, it's not like, you know, you I have do to... start the conversation in your pre pre uh, presentation. Yeah. Some Sometimes I just want to blend in with the wall. <laughs> <laughs> but not as often. I think it's fascinating that you were able to, um, that there did come a time in your life where you were able to express your true self without anyone telling you otherwise. And I'm grateful that you were able to find that space. I, I feel lucky and safe in it now, but I also think it's kind of, um, I feel like it's kind of a dangerous journey for some people, even for myself, like, you know, the, the night that the truck full of boys were, were circling me, it could have been, you know, something tragic that, could have happened to me or has happened to someone else. Like it's, I don't know, you kind of learn the rules because girls learn the rules all along. Like you, Liz, were, you know, you were taught the power of a dress that was too sexy at, at the right age to learn about it. And those things are reinforced and reinforced. And, and when you're just like all of a sudden giving yourself permission to indulge in it, you make mistakes sometimes. And, the older you get, the wiser you get, and you sort oh, of... part of the journey. 
Yeah. What about um, young children now that are having issues with their or uh, questions and understanding their gender, but they are in a household that they're not able to express themselves? Would you have any advice to either yourself looking back or to someone in that situation now? Well, I think that honestly, like, I think that my parents did the right thing for me in the time and place that I was growing up. Um, I, I think that we w- our family would have been shunned and we would have been run out of town and everyone would have thought we were absolutely crazy and I would have probably been beaten up and, and murdered by the cowboys that, you know, lived around us if my parents were like, go ahead, be as feminine as you want, wear this, <laughs> wear this pink frilly dress to school, you know, like it would not have been safe. I would not have survived it. So I think it's really sad, um, you know, as as more acceptance grows and those voices exist now that didn't exist when I was growing up that are saying like, this could be okay. Maybe you should at least check this out. I would be very sad for a child whose parents were just totally closed off to the idea. If it was clearly something that the child wanted. Um, I also think that, you know, there's, there used to be, I'm no child expert, but like some kids are tomboys and some kids do have just phases. And so I think the more we just let it be okay for individuals to decide, the better. I can't jump into some, you know, hillbilly family's life and rescue their little trans child. Uh. (laughs) But I, I have to say, though, as a queer identified person, you know the importance of being there for those kids when you can right. be. Like you would never stand by and watch something bad happen to a, a queer kid when there was something you could do. No. About it. And, and in the small ways that I can, like I do some um, drag queen story hours at um, a small local business, which affects all children. Yeah. <laughs> so just I'm, the queer ones. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm happy to like be the voice that I didn't hear cause it wasn't around and, and kids these days might have lots of voices or, or you just don't know. Um, there's an old lady part of me that is almost afraid of them. If we're talking about like teenagers or they're just, they're so, they're so much more adamant about what they need. And I, I, I love that for them. I'm glad that they got there. Um, I guess it scares me because I I would have been physically in danger if I were that loud at their age and the time and place I was born. So I'm happy that they can be that way. But it's it's also, I guess I'm so used to apologizing for that part of myself. I'm glad they don't have to. But it's also alarming sometimes. Like it makes me alarmed for their safety. Like, don't you know that you can't be that loud about it? If that makes sense. But like, that's the progress. What doesn't make sense to me, Joseph, is why I'm still waiting for my apology. (laughs) Your apology for what? For (laughs) acting that way. (laughs) (laughs) Um, There's an awful lot of acceptance in Portland, Oregon. It almost seems like parents are talking their kids into being trans. Just like, how the hell are there so well, many trans kids? And it's great. 
Because they might be a little of a bunch of stuff. Tell us about your childhood, Liz. What kind of girl did you want to be? But your mother was like, no, Liz, you will be this kind of little girl. And you were like, no, I want to run naked through the fields and hump the everything. And she was like, no, no, you won't do that. I, too, was not allowed to have Barbie. (laughs) Did you want her? Oh, desperately. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. But she didn't give the correct image to young girls uh, growing up. And you just want to play, you know? Yeah. So I went next door. They had all the Barbies. (laughs) I had to go to my sister's room, but nobody gave me a hard time. I had a tomboy friend who, whenever we would play with each other, I would bring my trucks and things that I didn't like, and she had Barbies that she never played with, and we didn't even play with each other. We just, it was like toy exchange until our parents were like, oh my God, what are you doing? It's time for you to go home. Some excellent, yeah, excellent negotiating skills there. (laughs) I have something you need. You have something Uh I need. Um, Liz is also forbidden to own an iPod, so. Oh, really? Yeah, she's not. By your mother? No. No, my husband. (laughs) Who? (laughs) She's not allowed to own Apple product, but she's like, but they're so pretty. Right. I just want pretty things. (laughs) Don't we all? Yes. (laughs) I want that shiny metal device. Mickey, why did you stop doing drag? Why can you not be bothered anymore? Um... It's a lot of work. It is. And here's the thing. In performance, I prefer to perform as a woman. That's where my artistic spirit comes from. Um, And the years that I did perform and tour, I had to, despite the work. I would do makeup. I would find clothing. I would do all that hard work. It became exhausting. I think it's just because I'm less interested in performing now. And I am a little bit tired of having to put that whole drag on for people to to say, oh, now she's a girl. When I can be a girl at any moment that I decide. In your head all the time. Yeah. And, um, and for me, the gender issue is more like I don't have to dress or look like anything for me to be being my woman feminine self or my masculine self. It all exists inside of me. And the better you know me, the more it concerns you. Otherwise, it doesn't really. So um, I I would be fine if I was Cher and I sat down in a chair and somebody did my makeup and someone I had my Bob Mackie dress all made special for me. You just sat there I would and relaxed fucking and then you do were drag Cher. every day. But drag is... For most drag artists, making themselves up into the character that they are. I am not interested in makeup. I am not interested in making clothing. I am, And when it got to the point where nobody was ever going to do that for me, it really got tiring. Will I go back to drag? My guess is no. It could happen. You know, Golden I Girls. I took a long break and I'm back. Yeah. Um. I never knew that you stopped doing drag. That's because I just, <laughs> I, you, <laughs> I was just going around to the grocery store and things in it. But um, we should talk about pronouns and turfs. Pronouns and turfs. How do pronouns affect you? Well, what is your pronoun? I feel like 
I fully support the younger younger generations. And if somebody says, this is my pronoun, I fully support that. It's like just a matter of respect, whether you want to use they or them or hear him or whatever. I feel because Mickey and I are both in our 40s that that Thank went- you for sharing that. He's 39. Uh, <laughs> I'm 50. You're not that 50. Stuff went over my head a little okay, bit. Okay, both of you could just calm down now. <laughs> Because I, I feel like you do that, like, in my head, I am what I am. And if you call me a boy, I'm not going to deny it because I have the body that boys are born with. And I haven't done anything to that that changes me to a girl body. Um, so if you call me a boy, I'm not going to say that I'm not. And if you call me a girl, ooh, you got, you, you recognize that spark inside of me and I'm fine with that also and if I've gone to great lengths to look particularly feminine I think that you shouldn't be an idiot and you should see that I did that and use she her but if or they them really or they them I'm fine with they them but um I only get upset about it if someone just does it out of disrespect like I'm in an evening gown with gorgeous makeup and just to be an asshole and point out that you realize that I, you know, didn't wake up this way. You're going to call me he, him out of disrespect. Like that pisses me off. But um, I've I've never stood up for my own pronoun. I never particularly cared as long as people. It's not a trigger for you. No, but I fully support other people that if you say it's important to you, it's important to me to use the right one. Well, that's probably the most important part, but I do want to encourage people to know more about they, them, use it. And my question to Liz right here is, what if you noticed somebody was using they, them referring to you? Would you feel that you needed to make that change or just be, oh, I can embrace this? Um, I, I would first have to catch it, that it was happening. You know, if... Right, because it is kind of subtle. Yeah, the they, them, like if someone's... I don't know if someone said like they went to the store, they went down the hall referring to me. I'm not sure I would necessarily catch it. Um, but I'm not sure how I would feel. I don't know that it's ever happened like that. You know, I think that that's part of it too, is that like, I, I present myself as a she, her, and I identify as she, her. So I haven't, really run into any miscommunication or misunderstanding so that's like an area where I can't relate I want to understand and as a person I want to do better but it's not something I can necessarily put my shoes in to understand to feel that Joseph do you think it's safe if if you think you're speaking to a queer person but you can't identify their gender to just default to they them yes and um, and then they can correct you. I feel similarly. If I'm not unsure, but I know that I'm getting a queer vibe, I think that they, them is usually appreciated. I wouldn't expect people in Eastern Oregon to know that. No, but you live in Portland now, honey. <laughs> but I think it's, one of the reasons so I brought to up... that country boy. <laughs> one, one of the reasons I brought up our ages is because I do think that it has an effect like... We haven't brought up Liz's age. That's okay. Liz looks really young and fresh. <laughs> but <laughs> I was a teenager in the 90s, and if you got HIV, you died. Yeah. And that had a really strong effect on 
um, how people perceived queers. It was it was our fault that AIDS was going around. If you if you were having a bunch of gay sex, there was this idea that like that's that's how you're going to get AIDS, and then you're going to die, and that's your fault. And those ideas are gone now, um, thank goodness. And you can live with HIV as a, as a manageable disease, but that was a heavy time to grow up and. And in addition to there not being voices saying it's okay to be gay, there were a lot saying, like, you're going to die if you choose that. Um, and that had a big effect on our generation. It had a big effect where you were from, too, Absolutely. because you never heard anybody defending the other way. No. I grew up in a suburb of New York. Liz grew up in a city. We heard that people were wrong. Right. That's correct. At least, right? We And, and also Madonna. I so right. there you go. <laughs> right. Like, um, and I think growing up um, where I did and with the parents that I had and the schools that I went to, um, it, it, it wasn't taught that way. And I wasn't given the opportunity to think that way. Um, and I'm grateful for that. And I think that's helped me be where I am today, especially with AIDS, that it was you know, a, a gay thing. I feel lucky that I better understood it culturally at the time. You clearly saw this strange opposition that made no sense to it's you. Still, but that type, but that mentality still doesn't make sense to me. Like they have a new platform or like, so like, yeah. I got news for you. It just doesn't make sense. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but I hear you because I heard I when AIDS first came out, I heard my mother say some stupid things, but quickly recover because at first it was just a scary thing. And you heard a baby with AIDS was on the floor of a hospital. You don't want to be there. Yeah. And Ronald Reagan is president. You know, yeah. I feel that. We had a different default feeling because how did that make you feel? Did you feel that AIDS was a plague from God? I didn't feel that it was a plague from God, but um, I was scared to have sex. I, I was scared that sex could kill me. I can definitely remember like the campaign about condoms being new and strange, and I wasn't even having sex, but people were, you know, saying, you must use these condoms. Everybody's going to use these condoms, but people didn't actually use them, and there was still embarrassment to say, like, I think we should put this layer of plastic between us. I mean, you like, li it was life or death and, and everybody, and it was like, well, I don't really like it and it hurts. And, you know, like I remember as a teenager, like trying to put one on without a partner around, just trying to figure out like, uh, what do you do with this? And thinking like, oh my God, like this, this hurts. I don't like it. Um, well, it's that bad. I was probably doing it wrong, but... Um, so can I go back to something you said earlier? You said pronouns and turf. Oh, yeah. Um, I've never had to deal with turfs, but I don't know what it stands for. But they're like, they're women who want to make sure that trans women are considered women. Oh, I don't personally care for that mindset. I, I can't speak for TERFs. It yeah, I can't either. Stance, it's T-E-R-F, <laughs> trans-exclusionary. Thank, trans thank you, Robin. <laughs> oh, yes. <laughs> Got my little Google machine. 
Sorry. Say it again. Say it again. T-E-R-F. Trans exclusionary radical feminist. I get it. That does not sound in line with my values and my ideology. I feel like that just ignores all spirituality. I've never heard anything like that before. It's it's a thing. It's definitely a thing. I've never heard the acronym, um, but I've certainly heard the issue. I am concerned about when I want to go to non-binary events, letting them know that I very much look like a cisgendered white male and I don't want to trigger other people. Typically, it's not a problem, but I know that people take issue when they're not sure if you're actually, well, in my case, actually non-binary or trans it's i guess i'm talking about it in a different direction it's interesting how many how many ways people get angry about the way other people identify because what is it like really doesn't have anything to do with i was talking to a, a woman the other day that i make art with and she has never since the day she's probably more liz's age and that i mean younger um but she has never gone out of her way to get a, a phone or a mobile device. Yeah. And she is a businesswoman and she has her own business and she works just fine. And I said to her, wow, that's beyond like a personal choice. That's like a statement. And she said, you know, I just went so long without it that um, it became a statement. But she was never really trying to make a statement. Um People take it as an affront because she decides not to have a phone or mobile device. And all she is saying is, I feel like my life is better without it. I've never even tried to get it. But yes. And even me saying that's a statement was me saying, wow, are you saying something about me having a phone? What's wrong with me owning a phone? And she's like, I never even said there was something wrong with you owning a phone. I understand the cultural impact and need for this item, but... In line with what you're saying, your decision, if not in line with someone else, is automatically a problem. Or with the cultural societal norm. That's why I don't always correct people if they're like, oh, you're a gay man. I'm like, yeah, I'm a gay man because I am. But I can be like, I'm, I feel like I'm a woman inside and always have. And someone, a turf could say, you're not a woman. You don't have a vagina. Well, yeah, that's true, too. But I still I, feel I, like I'm a woman inside. So you can't ever take that away from me. Wrap it up. Um, you're busy. I have a webinar with Kate Bornstein. Here's my thing about my queer identity. I want the world at large to identify me as queer, period. I would like to live in a world where someone just, when I say I'm queer, that's it. There's no expected conversation of my sexuality, what I like to do with people, what's in my pants, how big is it? And all the questions that would be rude normally are still fucking rude once I tell you I'm queer. And we're not there. People just assume I'm a gay man. And one day you'll just see me as an individual. But for right now. Well, I just hope that conversations like these do help bring that day closer um, and help people try to understand it sooner. I'm sorry you didn't get to have Barbies. (laughs) I know. Seriously. (laughs) The pain is real. But she outsourced. (laughs) It's a great way for me to like spend the whole day out of the house. <laughs> You're like, see yeah, you I at dinner. <laughs> Who was the right real model for a young lady, according to your mother? Um, like, 
as far as Barbie wasn't who was physically or like like I mean I was raised what what did your mother want you to play with yeah um well we had Lincoln Logs and Legos and racetracks and I had dolls I wouldn't wanted any of that I had uh (laughs) dolls but not Barbie dolls I had a lot of dolls um but I was, you know, raised in a feminist home with ERA, and we marched in D.C., and we fought for women's rights. And um, It'll be interesting as this podcast unfolds to see Liz's background with feminism. Learning about feminism when you're young is pretty precious, but how it falls in line with what we're saying here about the queer identity I think there's lots of crossover between feminism and seeing women as individuals and not as seed-bearing body parts. Um, Existing in the patriarchy is very similar to us saying it doesn't matter how I identify. Your concern is treating me as an individual. Yes. Mm -hmm. How are we feeling? Are we we feeling good to press stop? Do you feel like you didn't say anything? I feel good. Did you feel like you didn't ask anything? No, I I feel good. But see, it's just a conversation. (laughs) I'm going to press stop. Okay. I just want to say how much we appreciate Joseph sharing his story. It's a vulnerable topic no matter what point of history we're in. Even when you're talking about it amongst friends, it's a very brave conversation to have. Sharing with us his story, which comes from the rural religious background, so many other people might have a similar experience. So I just want to thank him for sharing and being vulnerable. And I know there's a lot of things that we can touch on as well, but I thought for our first recording, it was really information that I was thankful that he shared with me and our listeners. I do think that it was a good jumping off point for you in the conversation of queerness right? and the podcast in general. Yeah. As nervous as you had let me know that you were, having a conversation like that was, it just felt like three me introducing you to a friend of mine and we were just kind of chit-chatting. Right. And I know as far as like being nervous, when I listened back to the recording, I heard so many things on the edited version you sent me that I don't remember hearing during the recording because, you know what I mean? Like, it's just... <laughs> trying to form sentences. You just rem- did you just you just remember hearing like one long <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I kind of walked away thinking like, okay, so I was kind of nervous and I couldn't form a sentence and there's a couple of times I stumbled, but you know what? It just all part of the process. What I noticed coming right out of the interview was that at this point in time I had not come out as non-binary and specified my pronouns as they them. Just going back and re-listening to the edit, I noticed just by the conversation that, oh, I hadn't come out yet. But this conversation in and of itself was one of the biggest contributing factors to me coming out. And I think it had something to do with when Joseph was talking about being an example for other people, like being exactly who he is and presenting himself as who he is to be an example for others and to be visible. Mm. And it just became such common sense to me as like, that's exactly who I need to be. That being said, me coming out as non-binary has turned out to be a bigger struggle than um, I thought it was going to be. And that, and my struggles will unfold as the podcast unfolds. I do feel good after listening to this conversation that I did move forward and make the decision that I should come out as non-binary. 
And I think it's amazing that this conversation helped be part of that catalyst because I and everyone you know only wants what you want for yourself and for this podcast to be part of that process. Some other takeaways from this conversation. I loved hearing both of your experiences with Barbie, especially since you guys weren't allowed to play with it because my my mother never gifted me a Barbie, but I was right. all, I mean, I was always allowed to go play with Terry's Barbie and create outfits and do hairstyles. All of them were Olivia Newton-John to me, but that's a whole nother story. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> but we also had a Diana Ross Barbie and we had a Farrah Fawcett that's Barbie. So fun. Yeah. I was allowed to play with Barbie. Later in life, I found out that she was a gross misrepresentation of the female form. But which doll isn't really? <laughs> like, which... Yeah, no, I know. Like, which doll is? It's like. Cabbage Patch? Is that how? Yeah, like, like, I don't know. Like, the, yeah, all I don't... of the dolls are like, the pocket dolls. I don't know. Yeah, There's Holly some, Hobby. Yeah. Holly, Holly Hobby. Holly Hobby, I will say, was the one female-ish coded doll that my mother did get me. And it's like, great, I get a pillow. But um, my mother didn't have hang-ups about toys. I think that's where... Well, in my in your case, it was a misrepresentation of the female form as a female child. In my case, it was even though my son is a boy, um, they're allowed to play with whatever toys they want because, you know. Right. And it's so funny how like Joseph wasn't allowed to play with Barbie because he was a boy. I wasn't allowed to play with Barbie because I was a girl. <laughs> <laughs> But there you go. I mean, it, it, things always find life always finds a way. You went to yeah. your neighbor's house. And Joseph I found went a to way the top. To play Barbie every yeah. single day. And apparently, get away from your family at the same time. Well, no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I would have been just as happy to have played Barbie at home. So it was fun to talk about Barbie because it was central to all of our upbringing yeah. as children yeah. and it was you know to me I, was, I felt like I was listening to the three bears like this porridge is too hot this porridge is too cold Mickey's porridge is just right just right <laughs> <laughs> that's so true oh another interesting thing about that episode it was also recorded before I had a macbook <laughs> oh yes and we managed uh... And managed, it, but yeah, there were I there were no major technical difficulties on that one, so good for us. Not only not only what did you not have a MacBook, but you had a different sound card too. Like we have made yeah, adjustments. Yeah, yeah, that's right. That conversation was a little bit shorter, but Joseph is very good at just like getting his point out and then, you know, I gotta go. But we did talk about a lot of things. Yeah, I was gonna say it was short, but it we packed it in there. It was meaty. Um Yeah. I have notes about this. One of the key things that popped up that actually kind of made me feel uncomfortable was our discussion about male privilege and Joseph kind of like swinging between the two genders um, quote unquote, because male privilege is real, which is absolutely true. Anyone that knows Joseph, though, knows, first of all, they are a complete ally to feminism and, and women, hands down. Um, so I don't think that they really abuse their male privilege at all. And also, when we say that they swing between the two genders, that pendulum swings really low. Because when Joseph is coding as a boy, 
Um, he still has nail polish, colored hair, and is probably wearing female slacks. Joseph is a very femme person, and I present much more as a male, and I know what male privilege is, and it still makes me feel uncomfortable. But when that came up, it did make me feel a little uncomfortable that myself, him, or other people might decide to keep their male identity so that they reap some benefits. And uh, I don't really feel that that's true with Joseph. It's not myself. I would rather just identify that privilege and use it for good because I am a feminist. And I can honestly say the same thing about Joseph. But that doesn't take away from my original point, which was to hear about it made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. On that topic, I thought it was interesting. Listening back to the podcast, we talked about how Joseph goes back and forth between genders. To me, it didn't come across as anything other than that's the way he lives his day-to-day life. I kind of got a chuckle when he said, like, well, if I didn't feel like waking up and doing my makeup that day, then, you know, I want it. And I'm like, (laughs) it's just funny because a lot of women would feel like to go to work, they have to do it every day. It's not like they could just go in without their makeup. But that's neither here nor there. I just thought it was And if if they didn't do their makeup, they wouldn't all of a sudden be a boy. (laughs) No, but there would be questions, concern, stares. People asking them if why they're letting themselves go. <laughs> yeah, like is everything okay? Are you sick? Is there is everything okay? Like did it's like oh my god, I forgot to put on my mascara. Please, can we just get through this day? Um, <laughs> another thing I found interesting was how some people know only know Joseph as Joseph, and some people only know him as the artist Svetlana Transtastic, and a very small group know both. And that was just one of my takeaways that I've never heard that in a conversation between people before that, that that was a thing. You know what I mean? Like, you know, for me, knowing you, I've always known all of you, but to know that there are some people who might only know one part of someone I, I thought was interesting. And I guess it makes sense if you think about it. Um, there are many yeah, people it, that there are many people that only knew me as Kiberia Jones and see, would, walk, would walk right by me in a supermarket if I was Mickey. Not, no, not know at all. I mean, that's typical right. of a lot of drag queens. Um, mm-hmm. And I'm sure it's typical of people that kind of skate between genders just in general. Joseph also goes out as Svetlana just for the hell of it. Not just to like perform. socially, like just socially. Oh yeah, yeah. like you said, yeah, when yeah. he he mentioned at one point that he stepped away from drag, but he was still going out. Like he said, I would go to the post office or something like that. <laughs> well, no, it's funny because you said like you did. I hadn't noticed. Being one of the people that knows Joseph and Svetlana intimately, I really think of them as one and the same. When I look at Joseph. I see both. Which kind of brings back that whole going between the genders because it's all there. It is all there. But when you talk to somebody who identifies as like bi-gender, they actually in in their head are being a different gender at different times in different situations. And I feel like it is that way with Joseph. When Joseph is doing hair for his clients, it is clear in the conversation that we had that he is being Joseph the boy. What he said is real. He is different people to different people. So am I. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> to me, he is everything. Well, I mean, we could relate it to anybody. I mean, to your professor, you're a student. To your mother, you're a daughter. To your husband, you're a wife. 
you know, like we are different people to, when it comes to gender, we never think, Oh, what gender am I in relation to this person or what gender yes. am I in relation to myself in this situation? You know, I think it's a good parallel to draw in the sense that like in for someone who identifies as the same gender all day long, I still go in and out of roles. And if you just apply that to you are the same person all day long, but you go in and out of your gender identities, I mean, it's kind of the same thing. I don't act like corporate America in my home. You know? mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I don't act like, you know, myself, my home self at work. I'm sure it's more complex. I'm not trying to boil it down. I don't think that at all that you're trying to simplify it. For someone who has a hard time understanding that gender is a social construct, that mm -hmm. is a gateway into understanding it better. Because, you know, it might be easy for you to be the gender and act as the gender that you were assigned. But for many people, it is not because their gender is much more complex, fluid, or just straight out different from what is being yeah. imposed on them. I think that conversation kind of helps people understand gender is a social construct, like many other things that I won't get into right now. And I'm glad we are having the conversation. Yeah. And I'm glad that I'm having it with you and that we're sharing these with everyone. As is the thesis of this podcast. <laughs> yes. Full circle. You can find Joseph at Svetlana Trantastic on Instagram and YouTube. And I'm going to go ahead and spell that. S-V-E-T-L-A-N-A-T-R-A-N-T-A-S-T-I-C. Svetlana Trantastic. So on YouTube is our channel. I help Joseph produce the show and it's called Bath Time with Auntie Svetty. And our listeners might find that show really interesting too because we interview local drag queens. So Bath Time with Auntie Svetty at Svetlana Trantastic on YouTube. And IG, same spelling. Um, great. And where can you find us? You can find us at WTQPodcast.com. You can find our links to iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Play. And you can also find us directly on those platforms. All right. Well, thanks for joining us for this episode of What the Q. We'll see you next time. Love you. Love you too. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. Bye.